Today we're going to be talking about kingdom, and we're talking about His kingdom. We just sang about it, the powerful name of Jesus. How many of us want our name and our lives to rival His great name? I, I want my life to only show Jesus. It's the only name worth living for, amen? And today we're going to continue through Mark 4, and we're going to talk about uh, the only point that I have for you today. I'm going to unpack it a little bit. But the only point I have for you is this, that the kingdom of God grows inexplicably. The kingdom of God grows inexplicably. I'm going to jump right into the text if I can, and then we'll come back and try to do the best we can to expound on it. Here it is. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. In verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, that when sown upon the soil, is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up, grows taller than all the garden. And produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word with them in many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Like last week, Jesus is speaking to tens of thousands here. The masses are around and he is speaking and teaching in the open air using parable. Like we said last week, the Greek parabole is an illustration or a picture intended by the most sophisticated of teachers to come alongside a truth to make it more palatable for the people to ingest. Last week we also said that Mark 4 is the first of two of Mark's great sermons that drive the theme of kingdom in his gospel. We've been working backwards through Mark 4. A couple weeks ago you saw that Jesus was the light in a darkened world. And he extended that light to us and expects us not to hide it, but to share it. Last week, through the parable of soils, he likens man's heart to four different types of soil, one of which only does he call good, because that soil was teachable. That soil was a soil that was ready to not only grasp, but to ingest and embrace the seed of the gospel truth. And out of it grows a 30 60 and 100 time full. 60 and 100 times the expanse of what was sown into the first individual. And today, Jesus is saying that our sole responsibility as good soil, those who've ingested that truth and those who are going to produce ministry up to 100 times what was sown into us is our responsibility is to cast said seed. Our responsibility is to live by deed, live and till the ground by our love because Jesus said, they'll know you by your what? Love for one another. That we are to till the ground that can be hard and stony and and it needs to be broken up because it lives in a deceitful world, one that's skeptical. We are to till the ground by our love and our hope and our peace in said gospel. And we are to share the reason 
the, the way, the truth of our hope, peace, and love. We are to offer hope to those in a darkened world who have yet to receive it. And so what Jesus is saying here in this illustration is that the kingdom of God grows inexplicably, that it grows supernaturally. We have a tendency in a world today where we are just enamored with our own intellect. We're enamored with our own church growth strategies and models. Amen? We want to quantify everything. But Jesus right here tells us by his word that you can only till the ground and cultivate an environment for growth to take place. But you yourself cannot grow it. And he used an example of a farmer. Because every good farmer knows by his best guesstimate, by his most scientific of approaches, his most astute guess on a timeline, he can till the ground of his field, he can offer it opportunity for sunlight, and he can offer it moisture and water, but he has no idea once the seed hits the ground and takes root, he has no idea when that seed is going to sprout. He has no idea how big it will sprout or how vast it will sprout. He has no idea. He can only cultivate a place for growth. He cannot be in charge of the growth himself. That is God and God's alone. Amen? How many of you know that we have a tendency to take credit for stuff that only God receives credit for? We like to challenge him a little bit, make our name sound great. Well, A plus B equals C, therefore, that's what I did. You know, no. He says the only thing that the farmer can do is till the ground, create opportunity for growth to be cultivated, and then he can lay down, he can get up. It doesn't matter. Once that seed starts to sprout and that brown field begins to turn green, he doesn't know how green it's going to get. He just gets to celebrate what alone God knows. Amen? See, Isaiah 55 said it like this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts higher. See, no amount of human effort or quantifying can make the seed flourish. Hello? We're not in charge of the growth. We can only witness its beauty because God knows alone whether that seed is going to grow or die and just how wildly it will grow. But we like to take credit far too often. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it like this. He said, when comparing human wisdom to godly wisdom, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, listen to this, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy or selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. He's going, wherever you want to take... Uh, credit for what you quantified in this growth, that didn't come from me. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
You see, the, what, what James is getting at, what Jesus is getting at here is this. We can't take credit for what God alone is doing. We can only cultivate the opportunity. And his, if we want to say, well, I believe we'll grow this. How many of you have seen God way out exceed your expectations? If you want to put God in a box, I promise you he'll vastly blow that box up. And so we don't want to try to control or manage or hinge God in. We want to let him wildly grow and we just continue to create an opportunity for growth to be cultivated. That's all we do. We are here to simply trust him and trust the message that changed us. Jesus, if you remember last week, said, listen, for he who has ears to hear, let him listen. This is all important. This is the first of two incredibly important sermons. And he said, if you don't get this, you don't get any of it. I'm about to do something that you can't take credit for, but I'm allowing you to join me in it. I'm going to grow inexplicably. You will not be able to quantify it. I'm going to grow this thing supernaturally. But your natural tendency will be to point to a man. This was evident in Paul's day at the church of Corinth. Paul planted the church of Corinth and left eight months later. And then he writes back to a church that is in division because they've made allegiances to man. He says it like this. What then is Apollos? the pastor that he handed the entire church to after he planted it within eight months. Apollos, by the time he writes this, has been the pastor of this church for four, almost five years now. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? But they are servants through whom you believe it, and each has a role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God alone gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants, the one who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. You see, Paul's hitting on something that we just sang about. And I feel like oftentimes we sing stuff that we don't really know how powerful it is we're singing. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. But how often do we let our name rise up right next to it? How often do we let our name Receive credit that isn't due. See, that's not good soil. Good soil is the soil that goes, I know I can't save myself. My righteousness is like filthy rags. There's nothing in and of myself, my sinful depravity that I can do to earn your love or earn eternal life. There's nothing I can do. I know and I trust what Jesus said of himself. John 14, 6. I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So when we are a people who've embraced that truth and let it ingest deep into who we are, and we have been changed peace, love, and hope by that truth in a darkened world, then we look differently. And that looking differently and that loving differently tills the ground of the hard hearts around us, earning the right to share our source of hope. Amen? But we do not go grow. We do not prod and we do not fan the flame that makes it grow. God alone will grow and allow that truth to ingest in someone so that they, like us, can produce a fruit 
some 30, some 60, and 100 times over. Amen? In fact, Jesus tries to explain it in the next way he unpacks it. He uses the illustration or parable of a mustard seed because the kingdom of God grows super spatially. What does this mean? Well, it would have been incredibly encouraging to the hearer who hears this truth. But a little bit controversial. And how many of you know that Jesus is a little controversial? You see, the reason it was controversial is because it was illegal to plant mustard in their day. It was illegal to plant mustard in Jesus' day because a mustard seed would not, it would, it would spread like a weed, vast and high. However, mustard seeds grew very deep and they rooted themselves. So once they started growing, it's like impossible to get them out of, out of your garden. They would consume everything in the garden. So if they wanted to have a crop or a fruit, they could not plant mustard. Mustard would consume everything in the yard or field. And it was impossible, nearly impossible to get rid of once it was landed. But that wild and deep and vast and high and overtaking, all-consuming plant starts from the smallest of seeds. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. See, the reason this would have been encouraging was because back in Psalm 80, when, when the people are in mourning... And they're listening for the heart of David. And David, their leader, writes them a note. He says, look, I want you to remember something. When, you were ha- when we had no way, when you were in the most desolate of stages, while we were just in bondage in Egypt, what did God do? He rose up a vine from amongst Egypt and through miracle after miracle, he led us out of the bondage of Pharaoh and he even walked us through the Red Sea into the promised land, the good soil, so much so that he planted that vine and it expanded so much that it pushed all our enemies out and overtook the entire land flowing with milk and honey because God had promised it to us and it was our land. The Canaanites couldn't even stay. They got pushed out because of what God did. Amen? And so these people today understand this history. And he, he goes a step further and he says in Ezekiel, when the people of God had taken for granted what God did in the Exodus, and how many of you know we have a tendency to take God for granted? When God does stuff in our midst, and how many of you have ever had something do, God do something that only he can take credit for? Okay, and how many of you have taken him for granted at least once since then? All right, so... They took him for granted and started to worship pluralistically the Canaanites. And because they did, they were taken into Babylonian captivity later in their history. And while they were in captivity as slaves in Babylon, God rose up and spoke through a prophet Ezekiel. And he said this, I'm raising a cedar. Now, a cedar is a massive tree and regal. And he said, so much so, it's going to be so high that it'll rise above all the other trees and the birds of the air will come and nest in its wings and those below will find shade. Sound familiar? Jesus takes the culmination of the vine and the promise of the cedar and he puts it into one one illustration, one parable, and he flips this whole thought of what the people are hoping for in his kingdom on its head by giving them the illustration of the illegal plant. He goes, I'm going to do, my kingdom is this. It's not just the vine that gets planted against soil. And it's not that it grows so high that we can have the birds nest in it. It is the 
it is so wild and grows so, uh, so out of the manageability of man's hands that it's the mustard seed, that man has outlawed it. It is going to grow so deep, so vast, so high, and so wide that it's going to consume everything and nothing can live in its presence. It's going to take over everything. That's my kingdom. And they hear that. I'm sure they were a little nervous because they're going, wait a second, this kingdom's illegal? But they had hope because those people who he's explaining these parables to, because remember he, when the tens of thousands left, it was just the few there. He takes his disciples and he explains it to them. Those few were very excited. Why? Because these were your Hebrew school washouts. They had no hope apart from him. He was their second and only chance. And so they placed their trust completely in him. And when their trust was placed completely in him, they could do nothing but live in the way of the love that had loved them so much that it brought them life. And they could do nothing but share the hope and the peace that they had because of the love that gave them life. Amen? It's interesting how distracted his church gets. It's interesting how much we miss the opportunities put before us daily because we get consumed by the things that are inconsequential, that are burning away. They're, they're just not that important when the trust of the hope that was placed within us, expected by God to grow and, and minister in expanse of a hundred times what was sown into us, how many of us just get a little distracted that that maybe we've lost our first love at moments in our week and we forget why God has us here is to live as Christ and to die is gain. We are here to love like him until the ground around us that, that we could share the reason for our hope, Jesus alone. Amen? Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the one that has just left the hope of my first love far too often, but I don't believe I'm alone. You see... How many of you remember the wildfires that consumed California last, just last year? I was watching a documentary this week on paradise that got wiped off the map by the fires that raged in California. I found this testimony I thought was really important. This is from a 61-year-old man in Malibu. His name is Vinny Terranova. He was preparing to evacuate his home in Malibu, and he said this, I looked out my back window and I see this wall of flames about a mile long coming towards us that wasn't there just 10 minutes before. Terranova said, it was crazy fast and it was everywhere all at once. I planned to evacuate, but I ran out of time. I planned to get out, but it was on me before I could know it. The truth is, so many of us continue to act like we have time so many of us continue to act like we've got more time than we do. Our lives are numbered. Our days numbered like the hairs on our head. And my question to the church is this. If your days are numbered, so are the numbers of those around you. And how many of you know someone who is living with a hard heart darkened by this skeptical and deceiving world? You and I don't have time to be distracted with anything other than being consumed by the love, peace, and hope that comes by Jesus alone. Why? 
Because we exist to break up the hardness that exists in them. All of hell is held at bay while we are here. But how many of us are taking that opportunity for granted regularly? He's asked us to love like him. He's asked us to share of the reason for our love. And I wonder, I wonder what the church would look like if every single person just in this room, not even including all the churches that are gathering all over the globe today, took that seriously just in this room today. Just right here. If we would allow ourselves to live as if we trusted Hebrews 12.8, which says this, like the fire that Vinny just told us about. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. For by it, may we serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Whether you look at it from fire or you look at it from the mustard seed, God intends one thing, that his love consume all of you and me, all our mind, soul, our heart, that everything in our lives be consumed by him. And the second greatest commandment was that we would love others as he did us. And how did he love us? Selflessly. You know what gets in the way of us loving selflessly? Making a name for ourselves. The very opposite of what we just sang. When someone comes against us, challenges us, says all kinds of evil and false things against us, Matthew 5 says, be blessed. You are blessed. But what do we do? Hey, that ain't fair. Liar. I didn't do that. We want to defend ourselves, rise up and go, don't wear out my name. The truth is we forget that our hope Our love exists beyond the natural. And the supernatural growth that will grow the seed of the gospel that gets planted in others' lives gets implanted by the loving deeds of those who trust on that hope. When people see us respond to persecution and trial and name-calling and lies differently than they would, they don't see us rise up and defend ourselves. They see us selflessly trust in the name of Jesus. Guess what? That hardness gets broken up a little bit. So that the truth of the gospel can take root and the seed can get in. Let me ask you this. So we come to a point of conclusion. Our responsibility is to cast, to share. We earn that right by how we till the loving deeds that are evident in our lives. Before we share with word, we love indeed. But are our lifestyles faithful? How are we receiving the kingdom ourselves is it as God intended do we truly allow the kingdom of God to consume us so that nothing else can lay or rise up against it we receive the the kingdom itself and what God desires to do so much so that anything any desire within us is laid waste by the kingdom of God and what he desires to do within us Is that us, church? Because I believe, I believe that the church can continue to exist, but the world around it continue to stay dark and hardened until the church is consumed in such a way. 
Until the people who say, I know I couldn't save myself. I'm just like one of these few disciples around him going, this is my second and only chance and it was in him alone. And my life meant nothing apart from him. He died so that I could live. Otherwise, I would just be dead man walking. So I want to be consumed by him as he intended. Are we a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken? One that is all consuming. Let me ask you, how easily are you shaken? How easily are you shaken by the circumstances that rise up that you don't like? That you didn't give permission to? Trials that you are not for, but are intended to shape and cast off anything that's within you that's not of his kingdom. So that you can be found not sifted like sand or tossed like wave, but a rock on which the rest of the world around you can place hope. Because you have a hope. And that hope is growing ever within you, wildly, unmanageable and, and consuming. How many of us are easily shaken by the circumstances that Jesus promised in this life? The only thing, listen, he said, if you align yourself with me, the world will hate you. It's not that there's a storm coming. You are in a storm. As a follower of Jesus, that storm doesn't go away. He says, if you were of the world, they'd love you. But because you're not, they hate you just like they hated me first. There's times where you're going to recognize the waves are a little higher than others. But recognize I've never left you in this storm. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I'm your helper. I'll help you navigate the waves. But you have to trust me implicitly. Can I ask you this? And I need you to really focus in here. Last question as we're wrapping. What competes within you that keeps God from consuming you? What is that thing? Maybe it's a few. But what is that thing that keeps rising up and it keeps God's kingdom at bay from completely consuming you? It's that individual need or desire or... It's that weakness that I fight for to give my own name greatness, kind of like James talked about. It didn't come from him. It came from down here. It was demonic and earthly and seeks to be glorified. That's the thing. That's the thing the kingdom's trying to consume. That's the thing it's trying to be put away by God. But will we let him? Or will we just continue to let that thing breathe? Instead of allowing the kingdom to suffocate it out because we let him have full reign, we just continue to let it breathe. This morning, if that's you, church, this is to the church. Those who have trusted the name of Jesus have taken that gospel. Hey, listen, because you keep letting this thing breathe, you're not producing a fold 30, 60, and 100 times over. Why? Because you keep letting this thing breathe. Let it die. This morning, the truth is the kingdom desires for it to die so that you look more like him and less like yourself, more about his name and less for your own. So this morning, as you come, this altar will be open, the table will be open where his body was broken and blood shed to atone for you so that thing could die. He died so that thing would no longer live, but that you would have true life. Hello? eternal life and the things of this world would be consumed by him the consuming fire let it go 
Maybe you're here and you go, I know someone who is darkened and hardened because the world is deceiving and their heart is broken. And every day or often I'm in their life. I wonder if my life shows the consuming love of God and the kingdom expands from me to them. I wonder if it's breaking up the hardness. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for them today and I'm going to ask my church to pray for them today by putting their name on the cross because I desire to love them like Christ loved me. Give myself up for that person. Love them selflessly so that the hope that I have in him will expand wildly to a hundred times in their life. Anyone know someone who right now They'd split hell wide open if he came today. But they're in your life. Do you hear that? The responsibility that we have to not only live and till the ground because of his love, but to share the truth of the source of our love. This morning, maybe you're here and you go, and hard and darkened and I don't know this hope you're that's you we're going to have prayer partners on the side and ministers up front listen to me he said I'm the way I'm the truth and I am the life there is no freedom or peace apart from me there's no route to eternal life or the father except through me if that's you and you go I need peace Love and hope that is unshakable. I'm being sifted by the waves of this world like like sand on the shore. Listen, if this is you, please don't leave this room till we get to talk to you today. Please, let me share with you the life-changing truth of the one who gave his life so that you could live. He loved you. We live in a world where we understand, where we understand that Our sin has consequences. You can't go out and kill someone and not expect to pay for that. Right? What makes you think that you can steal glory from the throne of God and get away with it? When he said every knee will bow and every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. So Father, this morning, no matter how we are to respond to you, because I don't know where every single person in this room is, but Jesus, I know that you do. By the power of your spirit, I pray that you would seek and serve to break up the hardness in our heart. If it is for salvation today, I pray that you'd help the hopelessness that we have apart from you to become so loud in our ears that we could not miss you in this moment. And we'll respond to it for salvation. If we are the church... And in this room, already saved. But God, we've left our first love. May you break up the hardness in our heart. Make us aware of the thing that stands in competition to you. And may we lay that down, repenting of that, so that you grow and your kingdom expand in and through us wildly, uncontainable, unmanaged. Have your way in Jesus' name.